from St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. St. Louis has entered a new era of local politics with the election of Tashara Jones as mayor and the old guard that ruled the city and county's political establishment on the outside looking in. But things have been rocky for a new generation of leaders. So Mike Jones, a well-respected political observer and operator, joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to check the pulse of St. Louis politics. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me in studio today, he's a man of many titles, but my favorite one is NBA basketball fan. (laughs) Back for the first time since 2018. Good afternoon, Jason. Pleasure to be back. What's your name? Oh, that that, that, that thing. Uh, I'm still using Mike Jones. 218-330-8004. 218-330-8004. Oh, no, Don Calloway gave me a new handle. I'm OG Mike Jones at St. I, I, Louis, Not right? Mike John 73. Right, whatever that was, right. Wait, wait, <laughs> see, we already did the Twitter handle up front. Thank you so much for coming back here. We, we bring you back every few years to get the pulse of St. Louis regional politics. And this is a very, I would say, historical time in St. Louis. And I think it's good to take a step back and put some of the issues in perspective. So we're going to talk about the city, the county. We're going to talk about redistricting. We're going to talk about Cory Bush. And we may talk about the Milwaukee Bucks at the end. But let's talk about um, this. what I consider this new world order of city and county politics. When Tashara Jones won uh, the mayor's race in, in April, I lamented it was the end of the era, uh, I, the end of what I like to call the, the Slay era, even though Slay did not like Steve Stanger and, you know, probably left because Steve Stanger was in office. I think that his coalition of forging together business interests and trade unions was a very powerful coalition that other people tried to continue on. And eventually it ran out of steam. And now we have this new ruling power. I guess it's colloquially called like the progressives, but I think it's kind of this uneasy alliance between black voters and white progressives. We saw that in the county with Wesley Bell. We saw that in the city with Tashara Jones. Am I describing this correctly? Well, I think that's a perspective, and I'm going to say I see it a little different, differently. And the difference is our age, okay, that you're a much younger man. And given that I've been doing politics for over four decades, uh, I look at this more as a turning of the page. So I kind of conflate uh, Francis as the tail end of a generation that I represented uh, uh, that also maybe included his father who was older than me. And I see uh, uh, Mayor Chachara Jones as Wesley Bell uh, at all 
I see them as this emerging generation. Now, they're 45, 50 years old, so that's how long it takes to move to the center of power from one generation uh, to the next. So rather than describe it as uh, a coalition of these interests, I see it as a generational page turn that will reshuffle that deck. I think that Jones is in kind of a growing pain situation right now. Um, she does have what I would consider a fragile working coalition on the board of aldermen that probably could pass some of her agenda items, but it's not super solid for reasons I think we'll get into. She does have Darlene Green on her side now, as far as board of V&A, as we talked about a lot, the board of estimate and apportionment, which includes the mayor, the comptroller, and the board of aldermen president, is it makes a lot of financial decisions. Um, she does seem to be at loggerheads often with uh, Board of Alderman President Lewis Reed. Are, are you surprised by by this this kind of antagonism that's developed between the two? Uh, no, in the sense that they were both competed for the same job. Oh, oh, oh obviously. Yeah, oh, uh, twice in four years, uh, and she ultimately prevailed. So. Part of this is, you know, uh, uh, I apologize for the metaphor, but this is like establishing who's going to be the real alpha dog in a pack. So, uh, and that can get to be a little ugly, nasty sometimes, but it's all part of the the give and take of of settling out where these relationships will stand. And, and, And for me, given my experience, life experience and background, I kind of look at it as par for the course, and I don't get overexcited yeah, about it. Yeah, I think that there's been battles between, like, a comptroller and mayor and a board of aldermen president and mayor uh, many times. It's interesting that this is a predicament that the city is in because, as we were talking before the show, the city has traditionally been a very resource-poor, cash-poor enterprise, and now they have over $500 million to spend. If this infrastructure bill passes through Congress, they could get even more money to do, like, roads and bridges— I do think that there's a real opportunity, and maybe the details have to get worked out over time. There's a real opportunity to use some of this money to really transform places like North St. Louis into, I'm not saying that that money is going to cure the decay and blight and everything, but you have a real opportunity to do some really transformative things there. How do you make sure that those aspirations actually get done and don't get mired in disappointment? Uh, Be honest, it requires a level of political maturity mm-hmm. and um, coupled with a long view of what you're trying to get done. Uh, and one of the most important things when you're an elected executive uh, is you have to make the adjustment that I want to be effective. I don't need to be right. Okay, so you don't need to win every battle what you need to win is the long-term war and you need to manage your business and manage the relationships that you got in a way that um, keeps your agenda moving and sometimes that means you back up a little bit you accommodate somebody uh, 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 Senator Bond had an interesting uh, thing I, I heard him say once when Kip we Bond former senator governor right, all that stuff right uh, when we were going back and forth to China, he, he he was talking about how you manage your base or your colleagues, and he said, 
and he was really speaking more as a governor than a, a, as a senator. Yeah. He said it's all right for them to be sullen. You just don't want them rebellious. So, well, well, <laughs> and, and, and that's a, and, but that's coming from a professional with a long term in the game. And you start to understand, look, uh, 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 I don't need, some days I need to credit, most days I don't. But most importantly, I have to be able to control how this environment is going to evolve. Well, speaking of rebellion, that actually uh, parlays into my next question. So one of the things I also said after um, Jones won the mayorship is the reason I think that this aforementioned slay machine collapsed was after 2014 when Steve Stanger took out Charlie Dooley and hijacked, basically hijacked that business labor coalition I, I guess I didn't know it at the time, but in obviously in hindsight I do, and you probably did know it at the time because you worked for Charlie Dooley and knew Steve Stanger very well. Uh, Stanger was so morally bankrupt that it was only a matter of a time before he imploded, and without him, e- even Krusen, who was kind of in that same camp, was not politically strong enough to keep that coalition together. Now, the reason I'm mentioning that is because I think Tashara Jones has kind of a dangerous situation brewing in the county. And I'm not trying to say that Sam Page is a criminal, and I'm not saying that Sam Page is Steve Stenger, but there's no question that Sam Page is dealing with political turmoil right now. He has to face an election next year. He is facing increasing resistance among the black political community for a host of things, which is kind of being allied with more conservative Republicans that can easily cross over in a Democratic primary and vote for a potential Democratic candidate. How how uh, hyper-focused do you think Tashara Jones should be to make sure Paige is there, given that she's allied with him, and if someone else is put in there that is hostile to her, she could be politically and, and governmentally a lot weaker? The mayor of St. Louis does not have any courts to play in who's going to be the county executive, and the reverse of that is the county executive doesn't have any courts to play in who's going to be the mayor. So as a general rule, although it that, that has faded away. But historically, professionals usually say, I got a preference, but I'm going to stay out of it because I'm going to have to work with whoever is there, and I don't need to start out with, with a deficit. So if you have a preference, you tell your guy, good luck, and I'll see you on the other side uh, if it works out. So I, I think it changes the deck. I mean, it changes the cards in, in the deck, rather. And uh, so you don't know. And you'll have to look to see who it would be if yeah. if, if Pace doesn't prevail, who it would be uh, and what their agenda is. And then is there a match there? Is there a relationship? Well, again, I want to just make clear. I've known Sam Page for a long time. He is, he is not a literal criminal like Stanger. Yeah. So I wanted to make that clear before I make that point. But there are some eerie parallels about some of the things that are happening to him. When Stanger started in 2015, he had a six to one majority on the council. Hazel Irby was the only person that opposed him. When uh, Page became county executive after Stanger resigned, I think it was 7-0. Now it's like 5-2, 4-3 against him. I think if you, I think you comparing Page to the wrong county executive. I think, I think, his circumstances is much closer to Charlie Dooley's, okay? In his last term. In his last term, because— 2011 it, it, to 2015. Yeah, right. Yeah. So 
if, if you think about Charlie Dooley at the beginning, he, you know, he had effective control uh, with his relationship with the council, but by that third term or third, three and a half terms, that was gone, and the council became uh, uh, a hammer that was that was beating him up every day. Yeah. Uh, uh, Page, I think, is in similar circumstances. Because to be honest, uh, it takes a lot of bad luck, or you got to be a genius to get two Democrats voting with three Republicans right. on a regular basis. Now, why do you think this has happened? Like, I've known Rita Days for years, and, and and I know you have too. I've only known Shalonda Webb for maybe six months, but I found her to be a very smart and capable person. Um, why do you think that Paige is having so much trouble in, amongst the black political community, especially? I, 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 I'm going to make my answer bigger than this sam page sure okay um white democratic politicians uh in st louis i can't speak for this whole state or kansas city but in st louis are really ham-handed when it comes to handling racial politics believe it or not in my experience it is easier doing biz political business with white conservative Republicans than it is white Democrats. Once you can find some place that you and a Republican can agree, they're much more reliable, they're much more consistent. Uh, uh, there's a level of gross incompetence, political incompetence, on the, on the part of white Democrats in St. Louis, in the St. Louis area, in my opinion, that leads to this kind of breakdown that you're talking about. Yeah, and I'm not saying that uh, Councilwomen uh, Days and Webb are immune from criticism for their decisions. I know that they have faced pretty legitimate criticism for rescinding, like the mass mandate, right. for example. And that's they should. If people disagree with them, they vote, and people are allowed to do that. But it seems like they did that because there's much deeper issues at play than just uh, their opinion on that. And again, like I think it's just. A lot, there, there are a lot of different things that maybe you can talk and, about. And, 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 and you're right that while that probably wasn't the wisest vote from a public standpoint, it was precipitated by a whole lot of other things. Here is, here, here's the thing that whether you're the mayor or the county executive, ultimately you're responsible for those relationships. That at the end of the day, Anytime you're a mayor or a county executive in an argument, in a fight, or a president in a fight with a legislative body, you're going to be the real loser over the long haul. Even if you prevail on an issue, you will be losing. And, 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 and when that becomes a cumulative effect, and, and here's why that's important, that everything you do or want to do has to come before one of those legislative bodies, yeah. the consular. And if that's a challenge every time you want to do something, you only have so much political capital, and at a, at a certain point in time, you're going to run out, and they're still going to be there. So part of it is taking a step back and being strategic and not worrying about tactical day-to-day. So, you know, you had to say it about the Milwaukee Bucks, and I'm a, I'm a basketball junkie, so here's my hopefully my only sports metaphor for the day. When you're coaching a team and, and you're in a game situation, you don't worry about specific things happening. You worry about tempo. Mm -hmm. 
or we're playing tempo that we want, or we're playing uh, smart, or we're doing the things that we said we wanted to do. Understanding that on some, uh, and that we're gonna have parts of the game where things, where the ball's not falling, we're gonna make some turnovers. But as long as we're executing our overall game plan, I feel good about where we'll be when we get to the close. Well, this is why I think that this question matters for 2022. Besides with Page, um, I think that the reason like Wesley Bell became prosecutor, and we talked about this in 2018. We saw this coalition emerge between black residents of mid and north county and white progressives where I live, Richmond Heights, Brentwood, all those places. It seems like that that coalition is really fractured now because you the two representatives, I guess, of the white progressives, Councilwoman Clancy and Dunaway, are totally at odds with the two black councilwoman days and Webb. But if that coalition is fighting with each other and Wesley Bell is up for election next year and he needs that coalition to win again and he has a real opponent in a, what, 30 percent black county as opposed to a, you know, 50 50 in the are city. Are you talking about a general election or, or a primary, primary primary? Doesn't that make it more difficult for him? Yes and no. Uh, uh, the or, most interesting race in any lo- municipality, local unit. Uh, local political geography, let's say, is prosecuting yep. attorneys normally do not draw serious opposition once they're in office right. because uh, there are too many lawyers that have to practice in front of them. Mm-hmm. And as a general rule, they don't have an issue. And if they don't have an issue, uh, it's where does the opposition come from? Now, I'm not saying you, you can't have uh, the equivalent of uh, uh, somebody who's a, a, a broke lawyer who needs a job, but if you're talking about serious political opposition, mm-hmm. that always has to come from someplace. And it is hard. I mean, if you think about it, most prosecutors, city, county, no matter where they are, they do 12, 20 years. I mean, they usually walk away from the job before they ever lose. Yeah, we'll see what happens there, and we'll be right back after this quick break with Mike Jones. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Mike Jones, and we're going to turn our attention to redistricting. My favorite topic, but also a fascinating topic in the St. Louis area. So one of the things that has always fascinated me is about the first congressional district is for many years it was this majority black district it then turned into a plurality black district as we're going to talk about in a minute it's probably not going to be either after redistricting but will still probably be enough for a black candidate to win a lot of times these types of districts are created by white republicans at the expense of black people as a way to make surrounding districts more republican it's called packing basically But that's not really how the first district started. This was a mutual decision and relationship between black Democrats and white Republicans to create this district. Sort of how what you were talking about before um, with the relationships about dealing with more conservative Republicans. So can you can you kind of walk 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 the listeners through the history of the first district? Okay. Well, well, basically, uh, all of this got created, and and since I knew we were going to talk about it, I wanted to make sure I got it right. Sure. Uh, uh, Reynolds versus Sims, uh, mid 1960s Supreme Court case that established one man, one vote. Because up until that time, you could have 
odd arrangements, more congressional, more people, more citizens in one district than in another, and yep. they said, okay, you got they got to be kind of equal. And what that did was create the opportunity for a a black congressional district in Missouri. And Bill Bill Clay Senior was the was was that guy. Um, what is and and I, I think I, I I see the Democrat Republican thing a little a little bit different. Usually, that's always been the coalition in redistricting because white Democrats would like to spread out black voters because they're reliable Democrats, which means uh, it makes districts that Republicans have to run in more competitive and either disadvantaged. White Republicans would rather help black Democrats create majority black districts, which is how you do that is make a majority yeah, black district. But, so, but my assumption, I've read yeah. uh, former Congressman Bill Clay's books, right. a lot of white Democrats were stridently opposed to this because they wanted as many Democratic seats as possible. Right. And it seems like that has been, there has been unsuccessful efforts for decades to basically unpack the first district and move some of the and, black and, population. And, and that's because that doesn't serve the interests of black the black community and it don't serve the interests of white Republicans. So, I mean, and, and, and in this case, uh, 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 the 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 enemy of my of my friend happens to be it happens to be my friend too. But in this case, is it just because a lot of Black Democrats have just felt that they can be their own political bosses and they don't well, need a white person doing it for them? Well, that was basically Bill Clay's entire mo. Yeah, well, I mean, here and, and again, if if um, and, and, and this this will be the pejorative statement that it'll probably be three years before I'll be back on again. But uh, 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 if you if you're black in America doing politics, uh, uh, Republicans have tendency to be existential enemies, and Democrat, white Democrats are totally unreliable. So you <laughs> so uh, you got you got one group that's, that 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 you can't stand, and another group that you can't trust. Mm-hmm. So the question would be because there would be a rationale, and I and I can think of Georgia when Newt Gingrich was running it as a classic example. Georgia had nine uh, uh, congressional seat, house seats. Mm-hmm. And the state was about five four. Gingrich did a deal doing redistricting after the nineties that created a second black district coming out of Atlanta. But then in that in ninety four election, you ended up with seven two, right. seven Republicans. And, so and this arrangement has also been protected because the first district for a long time has been protected under the Voting Rights Act, which right. I think is the only one in Missouri that is allowed. I just want to make this clear for people: there has been a misconception that the fifth district in Kansas City is a VRA protected district. That is not true. It's not even even close to a plurality black district. Never so has been. Never has been. So if the Republicans want to turn Emanuel Cleaver's district into a 2% Democratic district, I don't think they're going to, but there's nothing stopping it. Now, but that's the reason I'm mentioning that is that after the census com- d- data comes in, it seems like it is going to be impossible to make the first district even plurality African-American because it's going to have to grow by 
40 or 50,000 people. It's going to have to probably move into some of the whiter suburbs. I'm thinking like Webster, Kirkwood. Uh, but I don't really see like a white candidate being able to win this just because I think white people will vote for black candidates. And if black people are primarily voting for the black candidate, that's probably still going to be enough. Is that your view? I too? would I, I would think so, because assuming uh, is now Cori Bush, but assuming she performs like Lacey Clay, like Bill Clay, then she doesn't need a majority of the white vote. She needs enough. Historically, like for example, when Gephardt and Bill uh, shared a geography, uh, in the latter, I guess in his latter 20 years, Bill regularly, Congressman Clay regularly gave up territory to Gephardt to keep him connected to the city mm -hmm. because he could afford to give up uh, uh, white Democratic voters to help Gephardt in the, in the general election because he didn't need them because once he won the primary, it was, he was over. He, it was over for him. Well, let's talk about Cori Bush and kind of her, her, her role in all this. So, um, when, I, when Cori Bush beat Lacey Clay, I think I tweeted out this is like one of the most significant events in St. Louis political history in 50 years, which I, I will be honest with people. Sometimes when big things happen, I tweet out very hyperbolic statements. I don't really think this is far from the truth. The end of the Clay dynasty to me is a huge deal in St. Louis and the beginning of the Bush potential dynasty. We'll have to talk about that in a minute. I think is part of the whole new era I was talking about. But the question is like, there are clearly people who may be aligned with Clay or may not like Bush's politics or may not like her personally who are thinking, you know, I want to challenge her in a primary. I've seen what her performance against Lacey Clay. I don't think she won any of the black areas of that district. She I, did. I think she did better than 2018. But uh, I think that there could be a black elected official who sees that and tries to see if they can make, you know, they can thread the needle. What do you think is the possibility of that actually happening? I, I think right now, zero. Um, one of the, and we were talking before we started, sure. and I, I said in, in a lot of ways, I don't know if Congressman McClay would agree, <clears throat> but I could write a scenario that says that Corey Bush is the heir to the to the Bill Clay legacy, because they both come to Congress fundamentally as movement politicians. Him in the Civil Rights Movement, her in the Black Lives Matter movement, and that energizes and creates an ideological uh, commitment by Black voters to that candidacy, because that candidacy represents something now more than just. Uh, it's why Rush Cornahan didn't have a chance against Lacey, even though he thought Lacey wasn't quite as popular and there, because there were black voters, black political leaders, who were not fans of Lacey, but were not going to give away the first congressional district. So it didn't make any difference whether it was Lacey Clay or Charlie Smith. At the end of the day, <laughs> uh, uh, they're going to get the vote. So I, I, I would say I don't know, with her as the incumbent, I don't know how you run to the right of her 
and get and get black votes. Yeah. Okay. That, so that, that that's why I don't think is, it'll happen. I, I've told even people that don't like Cori Bush this: if she runs in 2022, and at least the returns come in, and she's getting over 50 percent in North St. Louis and parts of North St. Louis County, and still getting the same margins that she got in South St. Louis and the inner ring suburbs, like where I live. She'll never lose another election again. Uh, matter of fact, I, will, I would argue all of those black areas that she lost in uh, 2020. Yeah. And that primary to Lacey, because she's never going to beat her in the general election. So this is all about the it's primary. all about the primary. And she's going to do better in those black areas than she did last time. And she's going to hold on to enough of white voters that I don't think, She's, and if you're trying to run to the right of her, okay, yeah. uh, I think you're going to get killed. It's it's not really a secret that, like, Republicans are using some of her statements to make her a foil to try to hurt other Democrats. And, you know, she does—I think she won because she is an ideological person. Well, who, who but has, that was the secret to Bill Clay's yeah, early success yeah, as well, Yeah, but there right? could be people that do not subscribe to her specific policy ideology that are kind of— kind of would gravitate towards somebody who is less of a Bernie Sanders person is more of a Joe Biden person. Like, what do you think she has to look for? At the end of the day, what she has is something you can't buy. And it was, for me, retrospectively looking back, the secret to Congressman Clay. Mm -hmm. Authenticity. Yeah. Okay? And in an era where politicians black and white or products and packaging of uh, of uh, political consultants campaign consultants yeah here is somebody who is legitimately who she is mm-hmm. and um i would argue that her sleeping on the capitol steps is the equivalent of jefferson bank and and i will tell you having grown up here in politics that there was a generation of people ahead of me mm-hmm. that there's nothing you could have told them about Bill Clay's politics mm-hmm. or policy position on something that would move them away from that Jefferson Bank. I think this... Uh, it's a, uh, he's, he's referring to the eviction moratorium, right. and uh, Congresswoman Bush was in the forefront of that and has been... Now, she was the forefront. She was the forefront. <laughs> and you could also point to, and, and, she, and her supporters were pointing out that this wasn't just something she decided to do on a lark. Right. She had been agitating about this right. for a long time. Now, it's a temporary solution, It's and it may not hold up in court either. And, you know, somebody, this is not a criticism of Congresswoman Bush, mm. but, like, State Representative Rachel Prouty, who's somebody who I follow often, has pointed out that, the city and county governments are sitting on a whole bunch of money for like rental relief, and they they need to play their part too. It can't just be Cory Bush moving the needle. So, what do you think? I guess this is more of a policy question than talking about Bush. Like, what do you think like local governments need to do to kind of deal with that issue of evictions? I, I, basically, I think uh, all local government and St. Louis is no different, either city or county. I think you got capacity and talent issues, mm-hmm. okay? We have denigrated the public space for the last 40 years since Ronald Reagan. And so the ability to attract, keep higher level talent, because if you think about it, 
this this pandemic is a major issue. It, this re, this requires people of exceptional ability, capable of thinking outside of the, the box, looking for solutions and and work around that can move uh, solutions uh, uh, into places where they they're needed. And I just don't know whether it's the city or the county. I just don't know if you had that much talent. Yeah. My final thought is this, since you mentioned the pandemic, I am concerned that we're seeing two brewing angry sides here. One is like this, well, I'm not going to get a vaccine. I don't want to wear a mask. I don't want to I don't want to take COVID seriously side who are mad that, you know, they have to take COVID seriously again. And then I think you have people who have who are vaccinated who've sheltered in place for 18 months, that kept their kids home from school, that didn't go to restaurants, that didn't go to weddings, who are now seeing the prospect of their normalcy slip away because of the Delta variant and masking and the prospect of shutdowns. And they're they're probably mad at the unvaccinated people. And I'm honestly really concerned right now. We're entering like a really dangerous social social crisis here with I, us. I, matter of fact, uh, I, I'll plug my column that came out this week. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and it's titled, And This Too Shall Pass. But I'm raising, posing the question that at one point a year ago I thought uh, was hopeful based on Kamala Harris's selection of VP, not because she was going to be the VP, but her her biography mm-hmm. made her look like the emerging America that was that we, that was trying to be born, and then you get 75 million people vote for Donald Trump, everything falls uh, apart, and you see all of this, and then the, so the question is: Is America really a failed state? And and don't talk about Sam Page or Tashara Jones, but are we looking at the beginning of a societal collapse because we lack the cultural cohesion? and then the leadership to actually deal with existential or major structural challenges. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. For all of our stories, stlpr.org. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Follow me on Twitter, Jay Rosenbaum. OG Mike Jones, STL. Don Calloway is responsible for that, (laughs) from what I understand. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking.